Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. 620 CKRM is proud to be your voice for everything ag. Welcome to SaskAg Today with your host, Tanner Wallace-Gribner. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today for Milligan Bio. The leading buyer of heated and damaged canola in Saskatchewan wants to buy your seed. Visit MilliganBio.com and buy Arcola Co-op. You're at home here on Highway 13 in our... This is Saskag Today with your host, Tanner Wallace-Gribner. Welcome to Saskag Today for Johnston's Grain, your first and last stop for grain pricing and crop protection and farm fresh water. Fix your water problems, visit farmfreshwater.ca. The chair in food systems leadership with the Ontario Agriculture Agricultural College at the University of Guelph suggests when farmers are discussing the production of food with their non-farming counterparts, they're typically starting off in a much stronger position than they realize. Dr. Michael Von Massau says consumers tend to trust farmers and feel good about the agriculture industry, but they have no idea what the industry does. The bottom line is consumers know that they trust producers, but what they don't know is really what producers do. Consumers have a very poor understanding of how we produce food. And I think that that creates a tension. They feel good about the industry, but they have no idea what the industry does. And that leads to potential for surprises. He says producers need to use the right words when talking about agriculture. Nomenclature matters from a couple of reasons. We can use the wrong words in some cases. If you look at, uh, you know, when we talk about gestation crates in the pork industry or when we talked about battery cages or enriched cages in the layer industry, we're using words that aren't necessarily positive in the minds of consumers. So people hear gestation crate, they hear a crate that, you know, and, and, you know, crate doesn't have a positive connotation for, for where we for where an animal lives. And so we need to think about those sorts of things. The other part of nomenclature is where agriculture has an has an advantage, and that's in the face of some of the new challenges that that are coming in. You know, we did some work where we looked at the word sausage and to see if the word pork in front of sausage created more value. And in fact it didn't. And so the initial response was, oh, that's not good news. But if we thought about it a little bit, that means when people hear the word sausage, they automatically think pork. So the word sausage is a positive thing, and we own that as a pork industry. Whereas if someone says this is a vegan sausage, all of a sudden it goes down because we're modifying it. So, so I think that, that there are good words to use and some disadvantages we have, and there are bad words, uh, sorry, bad words to use, and some disadvantages we have, and some good words to use, like sausage, like burger, like steak, uh, like pork chop, that are, that are positive and, and really, in the minds of consumers, are associated with animal agriculture, and, and, and so nomenclature in those circumstances protects us. Von would say, 
Von Massal, pardon me, says plant-based products aren't fooling today's consumers. It's pretty clear in some of those cases they're saying, oh, well, no, you're not fooling us. We're not going to do that. In some of those cases, it's leading to confusion. And I think uh, an example from away from pork is milk, right? We, you, in Canada, you're not, we often use the term almond milk or oat milk, but you're not allowed to use that uh, from a regulatory perspective. And it's, and it's clear that if you use the term milk, A, the default is we think of that from a dairy cow, but it also comes with a certain expectation of nutrition and, and things. So I think that, that we need to be careful how we, uh, how we think about those things in terms of setting expectations in the consumer's mind. So I don't think the threat is big because we own that space, but we need to be careful in terms of what the expectations are. That was Dr. Vaughn Massau, the chair of the Food Systems Leadership with the Ontario Agriculture of College at the University of Guelph. And he says there also are implications for producers of plant-based proteins. Well, I, th I think we just need to continue to, to recognize that we're the leaders, right? That we, we set the standard and, and, uh, and behave in a way. We, we may need to adapt going forward if there are some things that, that we're doing that, that, that consumers aren't comfortable with. But I, I think we need to, 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 to start from a position of confidence to say, yes, uh, there, are, there are other competitors coming in, but they're comparing themselves to us. We can highlight the differences, but I think we should also spend some time accentuating the positives and the reasons that people have historically eaten the animal products, right? It, you know, I, I put up a slide in my presentation today that showed that uh, uh, that even people who declare as vegans and vegetarians are often cheating with meat. And, and so what we need to recognize in that circumstance is that, that people like, you know, not everybody, but most people like the taste of meat. And, and we need to reiterate why they're eating it. We need to reiterate the benefits. We need to reiterate the nutrition. We need to reiterate the tradition. Uh, you know, you know, where, you know, we barbecues, Sunday dinners, you know, ham dinners, those sorts of things that, that are not just flavor experiences, but are cultural experiences. And remember that we're starting from a position of strength. And so not just differentiating ourselves from those things, but reiterating the good things that we that we do. That was Dr. Michael Von Massau. We're back with Saskag Today with Tanner Wallace-Gridner on 620 CKRM. Antibiotic resistance threatens the effect of prevention and treatment of disease in both humans and animals. When microbes are exposed to an antibiotic, the susceptible ones die out. Microbes that are resistant to the antibiotic survive, thrive, reproduce, and become more common. The Beef Cattle Research Council Science Director, Dr. Reynold Bergen, wrote an article on the subject in the December 2023 issue of the Canadian Cattlemen's Magazine. Both antibiotics and antibiotic resistance are completely natural. Microbes produce antibiotics as defensive and offensive weapons that help them compete for space and resources in their environment. In fact, most of the modern antibiotics that we use for animals or in human medicine originally were derived from drugs that were isolated from soil bacteria. 
And so it's, it's not totally surprising that antibiotic resistance is also found in the environment. Microbes naturally evolve resistance to defend themselves against the antibiotics that other microbes are producing. Dr. Bergen speaks about research conducted in the fall of 2021 in a brand new feedlot. Water samples were collected from a new dugout in new water bowls in eight empty pens. 19 different groups of bacteria from those water samples were tested for resistance to the different antibiotics used in the feedlot. More water samples were collected and tested weekly over the next two months as feeder cattle filled the pens. On arrival, calves at a higher risk of bovine respiratory disease were given Draxin, while lower risk calves were given oxytericycline. Now, when cattle develop clinical signs of BRD, they were treated with Exceed or Florchem or Forsil, depending on, on the health protocol that the feedlot and their veterinary consultant had developed. And they compared the antibiotic resistance genes from the bacteria in the water samples to antibiotic resistance genes in BRD bacteria that they'd collected from earlier studies. And so these BRD bacteria included the, the usual suspects, Mannheimia, Hemolytica, Histophila somni, and Pasteurella multocida. This is what the research team learned from water samples before the cattle in the feedlot. They found bacteria resistant to Florchem and Draxin in the dugout and some of the water bowls even before cattle began to enter the feedlot. So that suggests that the natural environment was a natural reservoir for these antibiotic-resistant bacteria, although it was at low level. So now let's look at the water samples they collected after the cattle arrived. So they found some resistance to each antibiotic in some water bowl samples as early as the first week that cattle began to show up in the feedlot. And water bowls in every pen contain bacteria resistant to each antibiotic by the end of the eighth week. And that's probably because of contact with cattle that had been given antibiotics on arrival. Even though water bowls in bovine respiratory tracts are very, very different environments, there are considerable overlap between the antibiotic-resistant genes. And that's what makes this study really important. Bacteria aren't like mammals. So mammals like cattle and pigs and humans can only spread their genes by mating with others of the same species. And genetic change takes place really slowly over many generations. But bacteria are very different. Bacteria can leak whole sets of genes out into the environment, and they can absorb whole sets of genes that, that other bacteria have leaked this genetic exchange can occur even between very distantly related species of bacteria. Entirely different species of bacteria can even mate and share sets of genes. And a lot of times these sets of genes have functions related to antibiotic resistance. Some of those antibiotic resistance genes occur naturally, even when antibiotics haven't been used. So that means that bacteria from the water bowl may spread antibiotic resistance genes to BRD bacteria from the respiratory tract and vice versa. So what's the bottom line? More research is going to be needed to determine whether, you know, regularly cleaning water bowls might help to manage the spread of antibiotic resistant bacteria in the feedlot. 
And, and maybe we'll find out that water bowls are actually a really convenient way to monitor antibiotic resistance, especially compared to collecting deep nasopharyngeal swabs from individual animals. So what does this mean to you? Well, antibiotic resistance has been around ever since bacteria first appeared on our planet. And antibiotic resistance will never go away. And that's why responsible antibiotic use is so important. It helps to make sure that antibiotics will remain effective for longer. Bottom line is that BRD can spread among cattle when they're congregating at the water bowl. But water bowls might also be a spot where antibiotic resistance spreads among bacteria and among adjacent pens, and it might present an opportunity to help manage antibiotic resistance. That was Dr. Reynold Bergen, the science director with the Beef Cattle Research Council. His comments are from an article published in the December issue of the Canadian Cattlemen's Magazine. You're tuned in to Saskag Today on your voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Now it's time for today's Ag Review with Doug Falconer of GX94, brought to you by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamp's Integer Tire in Grenfell, your locally owned Integer Tire dealers in My Grain Exchange. Ready to market your 2023 crop? Head over to MyGrainExchange.com and try their low-risk grain options. Transportation Agency ruled that revenues of both CN Rail and CPKC Rail were above their respective maximum grain revenue entitlements for the crop year 2022-2023. CN's grain revenues of $1,079,522,039 was over $3.4 million above its entitlement while CPKC's grain revenue of $943,886,400 was nearly $3.4 million above its entitlement. CN and CPKC now have 30 days to pay the amount they exceeded their 2022-2023 revenue entitlements, in addition to a 5% penalty of $3.6 million for CN and $3.5 million for CPKC. Regulations require these payments to go to the Western Grains Research Foundation. Canada's draft policy that would provide financial incentives to livestock producers to reduce methane from cattle aligns with the beef sector's target to see those emissions reduced by a third by 2030. But how well the federal government's proposals will merge with the sector's efforts which have already resulted in Canadian beef producing half the emissions compared to all other major producing countries, will need to be seen as the beef industry prepares to weigh in. Dennis Laycraft, Canadian Cattle Association Executive Vice President, says they'll know more about the draft federal policy once consultations begin in mid-January. The CCA has been working with the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef to develop protocols that are practical to implement. Current options for producers to access carbon credits often see private companies do the heavy lifting when it comes to calculating emission efficiencies on operations, which then take a hefty chunk of the payout. American lentils are pouring across the border into Canada. 
Canada accounted for 41% of all lentil exports from the United States in 2022-23 and 50% of shipments so far in 2023-24, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Vegetables and Pulses Outlook from December of 2023. That amounted to 76,000 metric tons last year and another 44,000 tons through the first four months of the current marketing campaign, July through October. Jeff Van Pevenage, the president of Columbia Grain, a large exporter of the product, says the numbers are kind of skewed because a lot of those U.S. exports are probably not going into Canada, they're just going through Canada. He says shipments through Canada used to occur because U.S. exporters were dodging the extra 10% import tariff they would normally have to pay when shipping lentils to the Indian market. China, the world's top buyer of soy and corn, will push for higher grain yields across large areas of farmland as it seeks to ensure food security for its huge population. China reported a record corn crop this year and bumper harvests of other grains, but Beijing continues to be concerned with food security, particularly amid rising tensions with trade partners, climate-related disasters, and military conflicts. Record corn production of 289 million metric tons this year was achieved largely thanks to a 2.7% increase in planted acreage as authorities reclaimed land used for other crops for staple grains. Speaking at an annual meeting that sets rural policy priorities for the year ahead, policymakers said China will stabilize grain sowing area and promote large-scale increases in grain yields. The U.S. is detecting fewer cases of avian flu and wild birds that transmit the virus to poultry flocks, a potentially positive development for farmers and consumers after a two-year outbreak. A top official warned that risks remain high, though, and urged farmers to maintain stringent safety and cleaning protocols to protect flocks. Record infections on poultry farms drove egg and turkey prices to all-time highs in 2022, raising costs for inflation-hit shoppers. Wild birds can carry the disease, known as bird flu, when migrating without showing signs of illness. Poultry can become infected through contaminated feces or direct contact. The U.S. has reported about 2,600 cases in wild birds in 2023, compared to nearly 6,000 cases in 2022. And that's today's Ag Review. I'm Doug Falconer. It's your Saskag Today weather on your voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. The official 620 CKRM Farm Precision Weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina. Specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan, call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866 and Moose Jock Truck Shop. The number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejocktruckshop.com. Here's Precision Weather's Phil Spivak. Very mild uh, temperatures this afternoon, working the way up to around 4. It was a sluggish start thanks to some cloud cover and some fog around the region. But uh, coming up nicely now over the next few hours especially, it should be a pretty decent jump. Just enough of a breeze to help push those temperatures up a bit. Now, of course, you think breeze with the negative temperatures, at least for a little while, the wind chill is down uh, close to minus 10. But uh, that will quickly be a, uh, a memory through the afternoon. 
The wind stays up, though, as it comes up into the 10 to 20 range, and we're more likely toward 20 uh, for a while through the afternoon. It'll come up just a skosh more, and even more so tomorrow, and it stays up. There's no real swing through tonight. It's going to be just a persistent, gentle breeze. We'll drop off to minus 6 for tonight and 1 degree tomorrow, so slightly cooler tomorrow, but still a dry day, quite a bit of sunshine. There will be a few clouds that come in Saturday night. I don't think it's enough cloud cover to even uh, risk any precipitation threat, but we'll notice at least a little cloud cover. The wind will come back down, and then we'll be at minus 2 as we get rid of any of those extra clouds on Sunday, mostly sunny sky. Looking, extending the weekend through Christmas, through Boxing Day, it is more of the same. Temperatures will stay just below the freezing mark for Monday and Tuesday. There looks to be a little more of a spike Wednesday, Thursday, getting back up toward maybe just shy of freezing. We're we're talking a couple of degrees here, not a big difference. Uh, But minus two Christmas Day, minus three Boxing Day. One on the negative side, minus one, zero Wednesday, Thursday. Then some cooler air does wait in the wings to close out the year early next year. But at the very least, through this weekend, temperatures very mild right through the holidays. Looking at the temperatures across the province at this hour, pardon me, the hot spot in the province is Maple Creek at plus 12, cold spot Uranium City at minus 12. Or minus 10, pardon me. Elsewhere, Estevan at plus 3, Saskatoon 0, Weyburn minus 1, Swiftcurrent plus 8, Yorkton minus 5, and Moose Jaw at this hour, it's 6 degrees. And in Regina at this hour, it's mainly sunny and minus 2. Catch up with all your ag news anytime at saskagtoday.com. Now, back to Saskag Today with Tanner Wallace-Gribner on 620 CKRM. This portion of Saskag today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalAuctions.com, and by Pattison Liquid Systems. Expert in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizers just better when it's wetter. Pattison Liquid Systems. Expect the best. A small town in a rural municipality secured provincial funding to explore other ways of utilizing coal as an energy source. This month, the Saskatchewan government announced $550,000 for the town of Cornac in the arm of Hart Butte for a feasibility study and a pilot project with Vidier Energy. Agriculture Minister David Merritt says the money will also help maintain jobs in the region. A lot of the guys that work in the mine are also young farmers as well, both ways. So it just gives them an opportunity to stay there, gives them another source of income. But uh, there's a lot of family operations down there. Uh, You know, ever since the mine really started, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of family members that that work down there that also farmed as well. So it really helps that. But if this process works, it will have an ag impact too, uh, as far as what uh, what coal could be used for in the ag sector as well. But for the whole community, it's important. You know, I think the mayor of Cornac said that if the mine... Uh, where it's to shut down, two-thirds of their town uh, is uh, gone. So how does that impact business for, for everybody? And I think it's important for us as a province, and we've said that, that we'd be there for the communities, and uh, and we are. And uh, obviously, uh, as I said before, there's a lot of young families there that work at the mine, but also maybe have uh, help on the farm in some way or have cattle or uh, some impact as well. So We just want to ensure that the community is strong and vibrant, and we'll do everything we can to keep that.
The funding comes at a time when the federal government is committed to phase out coal power stations after 50 years of operations or by the year of 2030, whichever comes first. The province says that would have an impact on three power stations, including the popular River Power Station in the arm of Hart Butte, two mines, and hundreds of jobs in southern Saskatchewan. When asked about the funding being perceived as buying time to research energy alternatives, Merritt says that's not the case. No, I think this is really finding another alternative use for the coal and we can keep the mining operation going. And that's really what it's about. I haven't seen the latest number of the amount of employees that are working at the mine, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, in that 150 to 200 range, uh, that has a significant impact on the community. So that's really what this is about. Is there, uh, is there alternative uses we can find for the use of coal? Uh, you know, whether it's decarbonizing it or whatever the situation may be, that we'll leave that to this, uh, this feasibility study that they're now performing. I'll leave it to the experts to answer the tech side, but that's really what this is about is, is there a way that we can keep those high-paying jobs in that community? The pilot project would see Vadir Energy use its technology to take coal and convert it into low greenhouse gas emission products. Cornac Mayor Calvin Martin says in a news release, the Vadir project has the potential to mitigate the negative impacts of the federal mandate to close the popular river power station in 2030. Merritt notes the community asked for help from the federal government in addition to the province. They came to the province and we said we'd be there and uh, if the federal government was there. Uh, the community threw a lot of hard work, and i got to really commend the folks in the community, did a lot of due diligence, went down to Ottawa not only once or twice, but went on several occasions to try and access money for the pilot project. And we said we'd be there if the federal government made a commitment of, I think it was around 7 or $7.5 million. Well, the federal government told them no. So we uh, said to the community that, uh, and Vidir, if you could uh, find the funds in which uh, you know they've done some due diligence on, that we would help them in the initiation of the, uh, the process and looking at the uh, capability and, and uh, the project moving forward. That's why we came to the table with the 550000 that gives them, uh, the community, the opportunity to just find out how, how good this project could be and uh, what could be the outcomes. And that's why we're at the table with them. The provincial government has previously invested $10 million to support the Estevan and Cornac areas in their transition away from coal-based industries. You're tuned in to Saskag Today on your voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. This segment of Saskia Today is brought to you by Dagelman Industries. Look to Dagelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market in Arcola Building Supplies. Small Town Lumberyard, big on service, ArcolaBuildingSupplies.com. With a latest livestock report, here's Chelsea Siemens, a livestock specialist in Kindersley. Hi, I'm Chelsea Siemens, livestock and feed extension specialist with Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Kindersley. Vitamin A is important for many body functions, including growth, immunity, skin and hoof health, and reproduction. Vitamin A deficiency in beef cows can result in decreased overall health and performance, blindness, decreased fertility, higher incidence of retained placenta, and stillborn or weak calves. Vitamin A is transferred to calves through colostrum, so cows must have sufficient vitamin A stores to produce good quality colostrum. If cows are deficient in vitamin A, or if calves don't receive enough colostrum, calves are likely to be vitamin A deficient. Actively growing green plants contain beta-carotene, a pigment which is converted to vitamin A in the body. 
During the summer, cows usually consume more than enough beta-carotene to produce the vitamin A that they need. This vitamin A will be stored in the cow's liver and fat tissue for a period of two to four months. During the fall and winter, cattle are consuming dormant forages or harvested feed in which the beta-carotene content is much lower, making it necessary to supplement vitamin A in the ration. Even feeds that were harvested green will gradually decrease in beta-carotene concentration during storage. Challenging environmental conditions impact pasture and forage quality, including vitamin A content. During dry years, plants may go dormant earlier in the season, extending the time period that cattle go without green forage. Pasture and hay shortages may also result in cattle being fed crop residue, high concentrate rations, and other diets that are naturally low in beta-carotene. These conditions all contribute to an increased risk of vitamin A deficiency and the need for supplementation. Many commercially available mineral mixes and supplements include vitamin A. Look for the guaranteed analysis on the label, where vitamin quantities are expressed as international units per kilogram of supplement. That was Chelsea Siemens, a livestock specialist in Kindersley. Here's the market update with Tanner Wallace-Gribner on 620 CKRM. Looking at the latest Viterra price quotes, Durham at 456.92, feed barley 257.58, canola 601.62, chickpeas at 1168.44, flax 631.04, lentils 70.79.50, pardon me, oats at 286.32, yellow peas at 464.54, feed wheat at 233.46, and one red spring wheat at 305.46. It's the Saskag Today Resource Reports on 620 CKRM. Here's Tanner Wallace-Gribner. The rubber stamp sale of HSBC's Canadian operations to RBC will lessen competition on mortgage rates, says one analyst who touted the bank's key role in lowering borrowing costs through its presence in Canada. Mortgage strategist Robert McGlister called it a sad day for Canadian mortgage consumers. He said HSBC had a different model than the major banks in advertising Canada's lowest and most transparent uninsured mortgage rates. He said the larger banks were regularly 20 to 80 plus basis points higher or fixed in variable rates. HSBC Canada felt it could offset the impact of lower rates by attracting well-qualified customers. He defaulted less and had more mortgage analysis, McLister said. HSBC's Canada sale for RBC for $13.5 billion passed its final hurdle on Thursday with the approval of Finance Minister Christina Freeland. Looking at the markets at this hour... The TSX is up 169 points. The Dow Jones is up 44 points. Oil is up slightly 0.6 cents to be trading at $73.95 US. The Canadian dollar is up nine one hundredths of a cent to be trading at $75.38 US. That's been the Resource Report. If you missed any segment of the show, tune into the on-demand Saskag Today podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. I've been Tanner Wallace-Scribner wishing you a happy holidays. This has been Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of edge microactive pre-emergent herbicides.